0: Luke 2, 25 through 38. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Fenel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You killed it, Elizabeth. That was great. She, she told me right before, she said, I, I'm not a public speaker. I don't... Here we go. <laughs> Thanks. Let's give Elizabeth a round of applause. <laughs> well, you guys, um, I'm going to be very forthright with you. Uh, a week ago, uh, Bree Golden was here teaching for us. And so I spent the week prior to that preparing, as I always do, about a 3,000-word document to teach from. These teachings have a lot of research, a lot of preparation. There's a teaching team of about five or six different voices that speak into the notes. I have never done this in 25 years of teaching the Bible. Last week, I was leaving for a four-day silent retreat to a monastery. And the night before I was preparing to leave to the monastery, I was going through clearing out all my documents. And I literally deleted the sermon for this morning. And at first I panicked and then I was like, well, it's an opportunity for trust. But all of that to say this morning, uh, we've got a very rough outline here in place. The teaching team has not had their eyes on this. So whatever happens now, it's all my fault. Are we ready to rock and roll? Okay. Let me pray for us, and we're gonna we're gonna do a little more of a classroom setting this morning. Some Q and A uh, as Christmas rolls around. I think it's, it's it's opportunity for us to just interact with us more in, in, in this space. And so, classroom setting this morning, we're gonna do some question and response towards the end. So, be writing down Q, uh, uh, questions that you might have around our topic at hand. All right, let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you that even as I was just reflecting on my time this last week. In so many ways, for each of these souls, there would be more benefit in us to just sit in this room for a half hour and be still before you and wait for you to speak. But in the way that you've structured your church, we are accustomed to song. We are accustomed to sermon. It is our pattern. It is, it is our way. And so we teach about silence. We consider solitude as we gather together in community. All is an act of Advent adoration, Advent observance, Advent ache, Advent longing for the King to return. And so, Father, may today be a day of not only information, but transformation. I pray that this teaching specifically, however it unfolds here in the next 20, 30, 40 minutes, Father, however, whatever words now come, wherever you take us in this space, plant seeds, of transformation in the hearts of your people. And more than ever, my King, I pray that by this time next year, as we approach Christmas and the question is asked, are you tired? We might say, yeah, there's a weariness about us, but it's not a soul fatigue. It's a fatigue of service and joy and ministry. Not just trying to keep up and keep our heads above water. You have saved us. We are saints. We are forgiven. We are a holy people destined for eternal life. May joy, Father, pervade this people. And may we be a parallel society of joy in the midst of the anguish and the exhaustion. Bless these saints with that promise that you hear them today and you have and are giving to them a joy. There is a joy available to them today if they will but slow down, be still, and receive it. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. Okay, let's do this. Uh, We start out taking a trip down memory lane. Think with me through your childhood or through some of your most favorite memories of Christmas gifts that you've ever longed for, ached for, wanted more than anything that you received. And I want you to, if you can, say them out loud. So while you're thinking about what is one of your favorite memories of a gift that you just wanted so badly or a gift that you were just begging for, or a gift that you received that you were just shocked by how wonderful it was, I want you to say that out loud, what it was. And I'll tell you about mine. Mine was, I was probably about 10 years old, 11 years old, and down at the, the little local Ace Hardware in our little town, Gooding, Idaho, I would walk past the Ace Hardware every single day, and up there in the front of the window was a lime green Freedom True Freedom Two BMX trick bike. And it had pegs on it. It had the the handlebars that you could spin all the way around with a little mechanism that allowed it to spin all the way around without tangling up your brake cables. This was a big deal back in the, you know, 80s for us. And so every day, I would walk past this bike, and I would just think, and I wasn't a Christian at the time, so I would just, you know, pray to the universe, please, I want this bike so badly. And I would go home with my parents, please, this bike, it's down at Ace Hardware. This is all I want for Christmas, and I can tell you that Sunday, or excuse me, that Christmas morning, uh, on the hour, every hour, I would wake up and go running out to see if it was in front of the tree, and the the, the pain of going out and seeing no bike, and at 1 o'clock in the morning, going out and seeing no bike, but somehow, for some reason, Santa always came about 4 o'clock in the morning, (laughs) about the time, coincidentally, my dad usually wakes up. 4 o'clock in the morning, I go out, and it sounded like an angelic chorus bursting from the lime green bike. There it was. I literally just sat down on that bike, and at 4.30 in the morning, I went ripping out through my streets before my parents even knew. This gift, at the time, I thought it had given me everything that I could ever need in life. It was all I had ever wanted in the world. I still bear the scars from that BMX freedom to trick back now for a few of you please just shout out what's one of your favorite gifts that you were ever given be bold say it loudly what an inflatable bounce house oh my gosh yes james fantastic others a game boy absolutely you had to have a game boy on the list somewhere others a cat did somebody say a cat oh beautiful a cat anybody else a MacBook. Wonderful. Yeah, very utilitarian, very useful, very service-oriented. Yeah, that's good. Just a few more. A what? Rock? Ba- what's that? Oh, a video game. Okay, I was like, you were given a rock band. That's, that's legit. Oh, what's that, Rick? Got it, got it. Now, could everybody... Hey, Rick, I don't want to embarrass you, but could everybody look at Captain Rick over here? Rick flies airplanes. He's a strong man of integrity and wisdom. He's also... How old are you, Rick? Uh, 64. 64 64 years young. Now, listen, did you just see the brother's eyes when he was talking about this slot car thing? (laughs) Twinkle in the eye. He looked like he was five years old again. Okay, where am I going with all this? What did you all feel in your bodies when you were thinking about this moment of the gift received? So I want you to remember, what was the ache like? Like for me, every day I'd walk past that bike. That bike is going to give to me what I think life is all about. That bike's going to give me meaning. That bike's going to give me joy. That bike's going to give me freedom. I will be able to do every trick that I've ever desired to do once I get that bike. And you know what that means for me? I'm going to have mad respect in the neighborhood. I'm going to be admired. And think about the joy. Think about the joy that you received. Think about the experience. I'm trying to conjure here, literally, the biochemistry in your brains and bodies, in your nervous system, these memories. Rick looked like he was five years old talking about those cars, because it triggers all these things that happen in our bodies. Now listen, all the Christmas gifts that we receive, the aches and the longings, I want you to hear something. They are nothing more than hints. They are hints. They are a parting of the curtain. They are just a mere glimpse into what every single one of our hearts longs for more than anything, which is what Jesus came to give us, life to the fullest. Game Boys and MacBooks and cars and Freedom to trick bikes These are all little glimpses in the moment of our bodies where we find ourselves saying, I am aching for adventure. I am aching for admiration. I am aching for utilitarianism, for some way that I can serve so that I can do something. I need the tools to do something. All of these things are hints of what the human heart is longing for because each of us long for life abundant. We long for security. We long for provision. We long for a life of being loved. Christmas is a time and particularly Christmas in the way that we frame it in the historical church, the liturgical calendar, in the season of Advent, Advent is a time where we reflect. We look back on what we have received through Jesus Christ's first coming as the ultimate gift to all of humanity. God incarnate. God enfleshing himself as a human being to give to us what we all long for the most. A life of adventure. A life of purpose. A life of security. A life provided for a life of joy, life abundant. This Christmas season, this last week as we approach Christmas Eve, take time and reflect through your life in all the ways that the Holy Spirit has given you what you have always needed, given you what you've most wanted. Now, it is also Advent as a time of looking forward to the future. And so just like most of us are now hoping for certain gifts to come, that's a hint, that ache, that longing is actually... Just a hint, it's a parting of the curtains as to what God actually wants to give to us, which is himself. Advent is looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ, his literal rule where all the gifts that you could ever imagine will be given in full. Provision and protection, love and admiration, purpose and respect, all the things that we all long for more than anything will be given in full at the return of Jesus. For the Christian community, as we mature our ache for intimacy and our longing for identity and our need for security and our hope for love slowly transforms. Over time, as you and I mature in following Jesus and modeling our life after him, over time, the things that we thought were going to give us security and joy and identity begin to pale into comparison to actually having what will give us truth, and life, and joy, and hope. Jesus Christ himself. For all of you that mentioned those gifts, where are they now? My Freedom 2 trick bike, I have no clue. It's rusting in some dump somewhere in Idaho, as far as I know. I don't know. All the things of this world that we seek for salvation, ultimately at the root of everything that we're seeking, is salvation. We are seeking salvation from insecurity. We are seeking salvation from a loss of identity. We are seeking salvation from a loss of meaning and purposelessness. We are seeking salvation from our end, from death. All of these things have their ultimate end in Jesus Christ himself. And so Advent, always for the Christian community, is a season of maturing. It's a season of reflection, and it's a season of looking forward and looking back. So Neighbors is praying, as we've said during this series, to become a parallel society of joy a parallel society of joy that doesn't root its joy necessarily in freedom to trick bikes or in slot cars or in whatever it is that we may root our joy in currently, be that a job promotion, be that a relationship, be that a position, be that fame, be that celebrity, be that money, be that wealth, be that power, be that political position, be that ideology fulfilled, whatever it may be that right now we are rooting our hopes in for joy and salvation, Neighbors is praying to find our joy in this deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. We're rooting the entire month of Advent meditations in one of the most famous Christmas hymns of all time, Joy to the World. And this particular line from Joy to the World, let every heart prepare him room. And so as a parallel society of joy, we are maturing through our perspectives and these practices, slowly finding and discovering as we mature that Jesus Christ is enough. He is everything. His protection is enough. His provision is enough. His kingdom is enough his love is enough his salvation is enough now let's turn a corner here for just a moment last week we talked about cultivating a secret place for intimacy with Jesus Christ what I want to do in this session is I want to delve a little more deeply into the actual practices of salvation or excuse me of silence and solitude that acquaint us with Jesus as our all I want to talk about the necessity of slowing down. And, and it's interesting to me that Shua mentioned this and a lot of you raised your hands. Christmas seems to be a time more and more, and it has always been, as far as I can remember, for our society, a time where everybody ramps up, everybody gets more anxious, everybody gets more intense, there's more busyness, there's more meetings, there's more family gatherings, there's more stuff to do. But historically, Advent has always been a time of slowing down for the Christian community a time of intentionally resisting the inertia of our lives. And more than ever, as modern Christians, it is more important than ever that you and I make the decisions through this Advent season that will actually slow us down so that we can become still and discover that at the root of our deepest longings is Jesus Christ and his salvation for our souls. Advent for us at Neighbors, As we continue to mature in the years to come, Advent for us will always become a gentle act of resistance to the frenetic pace that we tend to carry through this Christmas season. This is why we actually don't gather for two weeks at the end of the year. Rather than ramping up and saying, okay, we're coming to the close of the year. We gotta do a big Christmas gathering. We gotta do all this stuff. Neighbors instead says, let's trim it down even more. Let's simplify it even more. Let's take a break. We're not even gonna gather January 31st. We take a full two weeks off collectively as a community, to just breathe in. Um, When that said examine Sunday, E-X-A-M-E-N, we didn't misspell it. It's an ancient practice called examen, the practice of examen. And so we want to slow down January, or excuse me, December 31st, and literally reflect carefully and intentionally on what Jesus Christ is doing in us. So this morning I want to close in talking our time uh, our time together with like some concrete. How do we actually slow down? How do we actually get silent? So why just by way of curiosity? Why would we practice silence and solitude? Anybody want to just be bold this morning and toss out an answer? Okay, Jesus did it. John, Jonathan nails it. Gold star for Jonathan. He brought up Jesus. <laughs> well done. That's true. We do it because Jesus did it. Why else? Silence and solitude. Sorry, Sue. It's hard to hear him in the noise. Wes, Suzanne? Our value isn't based on our productivity. Our value isn't based our productivity. Very good. So we have Jesus, Suzanne, the noise, Wes, our, our productivity, our value. why else? A couple other reasons, why? Okay, to get away from the hustle and bustle. To, take, to, to consider what takes away our thoughts from what's actually important. Now, these are all excellent answers. Anybody else have one that's just burning? Somebody, you're pointing at somebody. Who? Oh, hey, oh yes. You lose yourself. Oh, my gosh. Fantastic. What's your name? Marcy. Marcy finds herself in the silence. Okay. These all sound like wonderful things. The finding of self, getting away from the hustle and bustle, being able to hear through the noise. We're not based on our productivity. We're all Christians. Jesus did it. (laughs) How many of us this week practiced 30 minutes of silence? One of us, well done. One of us, two, three, it's okay, this isn't a pride thing, four. 30 full minutes of silence in a room of what, 80 to 100 people right now? All of these things, imagine, imagine, I'm going somewhere with this, imagine the longings that you have, the Christmas gifts, but you never got out of bed to go look for them. What if in silence and solitude, the very things that you need more than anything, the things and the longings that you have can only be met in that place where the noise quiets down, where the the need to be productive ceases, where we're actually obeying what Jesus said to do, where the hustle and bustle is departed from, and where we actually find ourselves with him. Silence and solitude is done within the Christian community during Advent Right when you think you need to be planning the huge family gathering and stressing out about it, you actually need 20 minutes of silence. Right when you think you've got to get to the mall and just plow your way through the insanity that is Westfield Mall (laughs) during this final week, I'm dreading it. I've got some stuff that I got to catch up on, but I'm thinking first before I go, 30 minutes of silence. 30 minutes of silence before I go. Why? Uh, Daniel, you can put up that first slide. Okay. Okay. We only have two slides for today, by the way. This is it, take a picture of it. This Christmas season, the practice of silence and solitude this week that you're all going to practice this week so that next Sunday, whenever we're all here, I say, who did 30 minutes of silence this week? The whole church goes like this, okay? Removes distractions, it removes false coverings, which we're gonna talk about for just a moment. The problem whenever I don't have notes, by the way, is I will sit up here and talk for three hours. (laughs) Uh, Removes false coverings, restores trust, and restores rest and comfort, okay? And you can just leave that up for now, Daniel. This Christmas season, this Advent, to find the ache that you have met, to find the longings fulfilled, you will have to, dearest one. Please, a pastoral, fatherly, gentle invitation. You must remove distraction. And for some of us, you must confess that you no longer have power over your addiction. You are addicted, to distraction. And I say that with the most tender, gentle love, recognizing that I, of all people, have the most addictive proclivities probably in this room for anything and everything that you can imagine. When my brain begins to fixate on something, be that back in the drug days or be that in the social media days, I just could not, could not stop. And so I had to remove the distraction intentionally. Advent is a time of getting sober about these things, you guys, especially for the modern Christian church, where we get sucked up into the lights and the show and the pomp and the fair, which is all fun and all necessary and all good stuff, all celebration, right? But in the midst of it, we have to remove the distractions, which removes the false coverings. So we started with Anna and Simeon. Anna and Simeon, and we're going to focus on them next week for like a 20 minute meditation on holding the presence of God, what Simeon did. But let me just read these passages again briefly. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Okay. Anna and Simeon, the reason I had us read from them is because they serve as two exemplars, two models, two exemplary examples of people who chose to remove distractions from their lives so that they could intentionally focus on their deepest longings. um, uh, What Dwayne said what really matters, what really matters, they chose to say, I'm going to remove all the distractions from my life so that I can focus on what really matters, which for them was the coming of Messiah as ancient Jews, looking for salvation, which in the process made them people of purity. Whenever you would have met Anna and Simeon, these ancient messianic people, they would have had no pretense about them. They, they weren't keeping up with the Joneses. All their false coverings had been taken off in their pursuit of God. And they had this level of trust that had been restored to their souls. They were looking and longing with a level of trust that most of us can't even comprehend. As well, they operated out of rest and comfort, something that we're all looking for. So let's, let's break these down. When, is, uh, the, when you begin to practice silence and solitude, and we're going to get to some concrete stuff here in just a moment, what happens is all of the distraction and all of the inertia of our life is stripped away. And you are left with, as Marcy said, just yourself. But the beginning stages of that are terrifying. So difficult, so difficult. Because as you remove distraction, you find yourself being, the only way I can describe it is uh, the Holy Spirit begins to gently strip off all the coverings. Everything that you think is productivity, everything that you think is of value, all the emotions that most of us are feeling in this room, All the losses, all the longings, all the uh, pain, all the wishes, all all of it, whenever you finally begin to enter into the silence, not only just turning your phone off, literally leaving your phone where you can't get to it. Like literally, I just did a four-day silent retreat, and I left my phone with my wife, as I always do, and I can't tell you how many times over four days of complete silence I went to reach for my phone. Almost in a panic. I don't have social media on my phone. Why? So I could check the weather. Why? So I could check my Gmail. Why? So I check the waves every 15 minutes when I have my phone in my pocket. (laughs) Oh, man, I just want to beg you. This week, set aside three hours. If that's too much for you, two hours. Set aside one hour where you can't get to your phone. And go be still. Go remove the distractions because the false coverings will come off. And this is what begins to happen. The reason most of us are terrified, I've been terrified of silence for a long time before I really began to practice it, is once the false coverings begin to come off, one, you're vulnerable and you begin to feel all the feelings that you haven't been wanting to feel. All the stuff. And that is who you actually are the deepest places, the deepest memories. There is where the Holy Spirit begins ever so gently. And he's the best counselor in the world. He comes and he very gently begins to bring up memories. And you're able to actually just sit with that pain rather than avoiding it, distracting from it, or uh, uh, acting like it's not there. You begin to just feel it. Um, Oftentimes in the early days when I began to practice silence and solitude, I would sit and I would cry the entire time. All the tough guy bravado, chest puffed Dan, when I finally got alone, I was like, oh wait, I have no... I'm not puffing my chest for anybody. There's nobody here. What am I doing? I'm not a tough guy, Dan. I'm actually a little kid, and I'm hurting a lot. Some people have said some really mean stuff about me, God. And then I would cry, and I would cry and cry, and then the Spirit would take me deeper. And I feel ugly, Lord, and I feel ashamed, and I feel passed over, and I feel alone. All of this is necessary for joy. In some ways, friends, and this is going to sound so counterintuitive, but silence will acquaint us with God's gentle judgment. Let me, ex- let me explain that just a little bit. You guys may be surprised by this, but the, the, the context where we mostly find silence in the, in the biblical narrative, the texts that refer to it are in text around judgment, when God is judging somebody. Let me, let me just explain this just a little bit. So Adab and Nabaihu, do you guys remember those guys from the book of uh, Leviticus? They went, and and all the text tells us is that they burned a strange fire. They did something that they weren't supposed to do in the temple, and God strikes them dead. It's a really gnarly text. But in that moment, what we see is, among those who approach me, this is what God said to them, I'll be proved holy in the sight of all the people I'll be honored. Their dad, Aaron, it just says, Aaron remained silent. A moment of grief in the midst of judgment. In the book of Deuteronomy, before the people of Israel begin to go into the promised land, Moses lays out this gnarly set of curses that will come upon them, judging curses that will come upon them if they choose to disobey the covenant obedience to Yahweh. Then Moses and the Levitical priest said to all Israel, what, in light of judgment, be silent, Israel, and listen. Isaiah prophesied, be silent before me, you islands. Let the nations renew their strength. Let them come forward and speak. Let us meet together at the place of judgment. What I'm getting at is when we allow silence to take away the distractions and the noise, And then we allow silence to begin to open up who we truly are. Over time, God will nurture and comfort our souls, but he will also begin to bring to our senses an awareness of his holiness, his infiniteness, his vastness beyond who we are. And in that moment, we will find ourselves saying, be merciful with me, God. Be merciful with me, for I have failed. I have fallen short. Those are Terribly hard times to face. But Christians, to become a parallel society of joy, you must first pass through this gateway. You've got to pass through this filter of removing the noise, removing the distractions, removing all the stuff so you can get down into the emotional place of who you are so then you can come into contact with who God is. And when you come into contact with who God is, you will find yourself saying, whoa, I have fallen way short. I feel as if I might be judged by this holy God. And this is where we are brought to Jesus who was silent when he was judged. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. When Jesus was judged in our place, he remained silent. And so there in the silence, you begin to acquaint yourself with Jesus who did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. You begin to rest in what he did. And here's the amazing thing about silence. We think of, The kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven is this cataclysmic event, which it will be when Jesus returns. But there's this odd little text in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence begins creation. Silence ends creation. You began in silence in a womb, and you will end in silence. Silence in a grave. Silence acquaints us with this vast reality of which most of the time we can ignore, scrolling on our phones, being productive at work, riding our Freedom 2 trick bikes in the name of admire me, watch me, love me, whatever it may be. Silence acquaints us with all these things at a level that is absolutely fundamental to true joy, subterranean joy. Because when silence confronts us with who we are and all of our emotions, the next place the Holy Spirit takes us in silence and solitude is directly into the presence of Jesus, who was silent while being judged so that we would not be judged. Now, I think I want to just throw up that last slide and let's wrap this up. Let's do a little Q&R. Silence is it's an ultimate act of trust, Silence requires this moment of just saying, uh, I'm not going to manipulate God with my words or my behavior. I don't have anybody to impress right now. I'm just going to be still in this. Silence and solitude also brings rest and comfort. It, it, once you get through all the gnarliness that silence and solitude initiates during Advent, uh, you'll find that there's a rest and comfort. So how do we do this? Start small, be intentional, have no expectations. How many of you, just by a show of hands, have a regular practice of silence during the week? Awesome, awesome. So in my, in my life, when I was first exposed to this practice, you need to start small. If you have no practice of silence, start with 10 minutes. And uh, move from 10 minutes in silence to 20 minutes in silence to 40 minutes in silence to an hour in silence certain times up until you're practicing multiple days in silence and solitude. If you start too big, uh, you're just gonna find yourself completely overwhelmed. You have to be intentional. You have to actually set up time to pray. You have to actually set up time to go and do this. Um, It's much, I liken it much like going to the gym or um, healthy eating. You have to make the choice and then, in a disciplined manner, go about it. And then finally, have no expectations. I think that for a lot of modern Christians, whenever you're introduced to the concept of silence and solitude, you, uh, you have this expectation that it sounds so great at the, at the front end of everything. You're like, I'm going to go. I'm not going to have my phone with me. I'm going to be still. And instead, you go and you're just like the entire time, I'm bored out of my mind. <laughs> what do I do? You learn to embrace the boredom as a gift of God's presence. Or you sit in silence and you just analyze, was that my thought? Was it the Holy Spirit's thought? Whose thought was that? Wait, what's going on in my brain right now? Why can't I stop thinking? And how come, I wonder how the Seahawks are doing. I think I'm going to go skiing right after Christmas. break. And then you're just like, whoa, where am I now? (laughs) And you come back from that time of just being in your chaotic head as a gift from God, saying, okay, Lord, you showed me that my mind is continually running. Okay. This is enough. This is enough. What I'd like to do is a little more Q&R. Just around the concept of, of Advent or silence and solitude, some challenges that maybe you have. Because I don't want to bring them up. I don't want to put challenges in your mind. But I've heard the litany. I've heard the list from almost every category of life on why you particularly cannot do silence and solitude. Let's talk about that a little bit. Questions and comments. Questions and comments around silence and solitude. Anything. Yes. Oh, man, that's a great question. Okay. Is silence and solitude separate from Bible reading and prayer? On the, I would say yes on one hand and no on the other. So there are different forms of silence that I believe Jesus practiced and that have been practiced by the church throughout the millennia. One of those is what I would just call deep embodied presence, what the mystics called contemplation where your mind and your body and your soul reaches a place where you are so in the moment. So this will sound very familiar to modern mindfulness techniques that are all the rage right now, but very different in a Christian framework, very different. So there is a practice of silence wherein you have no words. You are simply focused on uh, the breath. You're focused on Uh, Your body, you're focused on listening to the presence of God, uh, just listening to creation around you with no expectation. There's silence there. At Neighbors, we also are very big on um, encouraging what the ancients called Lectio or Lectio Divina, which is just divine reading. And essentially, this is where you have a Bible open on your lap and you're reading a particular passage. I prefer the Gospels. And you're letting the the words, and you're reading in the context of good theology. You're reading the scripture. You're taking in the information from it, but you are allowing the scripture to rise from the rise from the page and allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate there in the quiet, uh, a verse or even a word. So uh, this last week, by way of example, the Benedictines where I was at with the monastery, they have, uh, Benedict was, you have hours of prayer. And in those hours of prayer, you have times of silence, but then they also have what they just call prayerful reading. And um, this one particular monk has the exact same favorite spot that I have in the monastery. (laughs) So every time I would go in there, I would go to sit down on this one spot, and that monk would already be in there. And he would have his, you know, and you could just hear him very gently under his breath reading the scripture one particular scripture, and I would just sit in the back and, you know, kind of like a weirdo, like, listen in. Like, and he would just sit there, and you could hear him mumbling, the presence of the Lord. Your presence, Lord. Presence. I pray your presence. But it was softer than that. It was so quiet. And he would be reading from some passage, and you could hear him very gently read the words. And the idea is communion. It's relational communion. Communion. So I would say practice both. The hardest is practicing silence just waiting with nothing to meditate on. And, and I, I can give you guys, if you'd like, I, I can give you guys a very helpful tool for practicing silence this week um, that I have found extremely beneficial, and it's a mix of um, modern neuroscience meets ancient spirituality. But practice Lectio Divina as well. Does any, do, do you guys want this practice to try this week? Yeah? OK, so uh, uh, Thomas Keating and a group of sisterian monks developed something that they called Centering Prayer. Uh, and then a, a neuroscientist, Kurt Thompson and Dan Siegel, Dan Siegel's actually a secular guy, but Kurt Thompson came along and took Dan Siegel's ideas around interpersonal neurobiology, Big words that basically mean what happens in the neurochemistry when we're in community and when we're alone and what happens when we do silence and solitude <clears throat> and I took some of their practices Kirk Thompson's neuroscience practices and have mixed them with centering prayer this week and you guys can write this down this week here's my challenge to you 20 minutes every other day don't even try to go for every day try to do every other day 20 minutes 20 minutes every other day of this type of prayer you sit in a chair Join me, if you would. Sit up straight. Feet on the floor. I'm not going to take you guys through a full 20 minutes. Unless you're all down, you guys got stuff to do this afternoon? (laughs) Feet on the floor. Now, you begin with your breath. Eyes, you guys don't have to do this, but I do want you to have a clear example of this. Eyes gently close. And you follow your breath. Well, Dan, are we Buddhists? What are we doing here? No. No, we are Christians. And the reason that I root this in breath is because the very first thing, think about this with me, eyes closed for just a moment, please think with me about this. The very first thing that humanity experienced as conscious image bearers, Genesis chapter one and two tell us, was Ruach, breath. When you begin to focus on your breath, you are focusing on the most primal place of life. Please breathe in deeply and allow your shoulders and body to relax now. Not in any sort of letting go of your thoughts way. You're just feeling your body now. And for a lot of people, you you don't even realize what's happening in your body because the inertia of life is carrying you so fast and for so long. And you would begin now... If you were doing this for 20 minutes, you would begin focusing on your breath, Ruach, just knowing, man, God gave me life. God gave me breath. And you'd start at your toes. This is what Kurt Thompson called a a, a body scan, which in the neuroscience world, you're, you're going through and the nervous system is actually, you're taking account of what's going on in your body. You'd move from your toes, just focusing your attention on your toes, up through the ball of your feet, up through the arch of your foot, the heels, up through the calf, into the knees, very slowly, And as you are doing this, you can remind yourself, feel the weight of your body sitting down into your chair. And you can say, this is Newtonian physics. They call it gravity. But this is also what Paul said was the power of God's word holding me together. Those types of things. Where you root your meditation in this process. Uh, You move up through your thighs, up through your whole body, into your belly, into your chest. You just let this travel all the way up through, and you're just noticing things. You guys can can open your eyes. I think what we'll do is um, tomorrow, we'll we'll put out on the podcast, I'll do a, a guided meditation. And I'll I'll guide you guys through it. So stay tuned on the podcast. We actually talked about doing this, and I'm just now remembering that. That's how out of sorts I am right now. Um, We'll we'll put something out on the podcast this week where you guys can be guided through a 20... How long do you want to go? 20 minutes? 30 minutes? Okay. (laughs) Whatever. We'll figure it out when we get there, okay? But I would love the opportunity to actually guide you guys through this. And then the challenge will be to do it on your own, Um, consistently, consistently. Here is what I have found through many, many years now. Silence will take you into places that need to be healed. Silence will also take you to places that need to be healed. Meaning, when you practice silence, you will find going into environments that are chaotic and overwhelming, you will find that you're more self-aware and you bring just a slowness you don't get caught up in it. It's like you, you can feel the inertia of the world going around you. But like Jesus, who did these practices, I'm utterly convinced Jesus would have spent hours out in the wilderness praying. And I don't think Jesus just sat out there praying with words intercessorily for like hours and hours on end. I don't think Paul did that either. You guys got to remember, in between Paul's missionary journeys, he was on a boat hanging out in the ocean, floating, going to his next missionary journey. And I don't think he was just sitting there talking out loud the entire time. I think he was taking account of what was happening in his body and listening to the Spirit. Over time, you will become more self-aware. Dallas Willard was asked one time, if Jesus was in the room with everybody and just hanging out with us at our Christmas parties this week, what would have he been like? And Willard's response was, relaxed. My response is relaxed, rested, and joyful. Have you ever gotten around that person where, you know, they just bring into the room, like they walk into the room, and there's the people that bring a big energy into the room. They're just a big personality. But have you ever been around, there's so few people like this in my life, but you get around them, and it's like all of a sudden, everything around you just kind of calms down. It like slows just a little bit, and you find yourself, oh, that feels kind of nice. How come this person is able to make me feel that way? I think if we would have gotten around Jesus, we would have been like, and this huge smile would have come over our face. But that's what he wants to give to the world through you. Okay, Um, we're at 40 minutes. Any other questions around silence and solitude? How do you practice silence with little babies as a mom or as a dad? You tell me. (laughs) (laughs) I always tell young parents, and... um, This is really important. I always tell young parents that your father knows what you need. Your father knows what you need. And so if your father says that you need to bring to that baby uh, a a presence and a calm and uh, a wisdom, then there is time somewhere. There is time somewhere. And even if in that time, you as a mom or you as a dad, you find that 15-minute window. And you're like, I'm going to now just sit and be still. The baby's going to give me 10 minutes of reprieve. And you conk out and go to sleep. Perfect. Perfect. This is the thing with silence and solitude as well that I have found for most modern Christians. The minute you get alone and the minute you close your eyes, you're out. You're out. I will confess to you that every time I go on a silent retreat like this last time, I have to go for multitudes of days because usually for about the first 48 hours, I'm in a coma. I'm not kidding. And I used to resist it. I used to be like, okay, I'm here to be holy. Mm, I'm, I'm loving you, Jesus. I'm ready to... And, and i come out of it like, oh my gosh, where, where? It's so quiet. And over time, actually, one of my spiritual directors many, many years ago said, that is being held by the presence of God and you will learn to rest and receive that. And then over time, as you rest and receive from the sleep that you're given in that deep place of silence, you are slowly awakened to these, to these other things. Any other questions? There, the, yeah, start small. Be intentional. Have no expectations. Uh, allow Jesus to do in you whatever it is that he wants to do. And if that's to sit there and analyze your analysis of your own brain, great, that's wonderful. Um, Let's call it a wrap. Let's do a, we'll put out on the podcast a guided meditation this week. I just want to give a pastoral encouragement. It's the final week of Advent. And almost every single thing that God is doing in my personal life right now is he's saying, I want to, bring myself to you where I am everything. Deep trust, deep quiet, deep peace. This is the invitation that the Father has for you and I this week. Whatever it may look like, maybe it'll be doing the 10, 15, 20 minute meditation that we will guide you guys through. Um, Maybe it'll be just if you can get in 10 minutes before the, the family gathering happens this week. Um, Whatever it may be, the Spirit wants to take you into a deeper place. The end goal of this, friends, though, is that through 2024, this will come up over and over and over and over and over through 2024. Because the end goal of this will be that eventually you're setting aside as best you can an entire day. And for those of you that have kids, the other spouse takes care of those kids and you set aside an entire day. And then if you have opportunity to ever be able to do this, you spend full 24 hours, a full 48 hours, not saying a word with no phone, nothing, just being. Gently reading, listening, and see what God does in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, bless this time of worship and communion now as we close this time. In Jesus' name, amen.